Cool Jobs Podcast. You're like, where's Saskatoon? Follow Cool Jobs Podcast on Instagram at Cool Jobs Podcast. You know 10 NHL players. The Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Crown Jewel Recruitment. Please tell me there's video. Is there video of this? If there is, we're going to insert some right here on the podcast. Oh, we can do it live. This is the Cool Jobs Podcast with your host, Johnny Jasno. Okay, here we go. Another edition of the Cool Jobs Podcast. Before we get into our interview, he's right there. I cannot wait to talk to him. Uh, cool Jobs Podcast brought to you by Mark Curtis at Crown Jewel Recruitment. Looking for a job, Mark and his team have opportunities in several industries and segments. Whether it's finance, sales, engineering, supply chain, or executive, Mark is able to provide the process that identifies top talent that gets you hired. Check him out today, crownjewelrecruitment.com or on LinkedIn. We have Bill Fortier with us from CTV National News. Bill, before we get into it, Fortier, 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 where is <laughs> to me, to me, it, to me, it's French. It's French. Okay, well, give me the Coles notes on it. Well, yeah, so, so it is a French name, obviously, and, and you have to go back pretty far in my family's history to get to that French side. And, you know, my, my grandmother on my dad's side didn't really tell me the story until I was sort of a young adult. And, you know, I, I, I guess I don't really know exactly how much I remember and exactly how much of what she told me is true. Okay. Uh, but what it comes down to is, uh, you know, my grandfather's grandfather or perhaps his dad uh, owned a, a hotel in Winnipeg, in downtown Winnipeg. Um, and before he had married, he, in his will, he had left everything to the church, okay. the French Catholic Church of St. Boniface, which is the French Quarter of Winnipeg. Um, didn't change his will when he got married and had kids, uh, tragically died. And the church came, the, the priest and took the deed to his business, leaving, you know, my grandfather's, uh, grandmother or whatever mother, uh, great grandmother, I'm not sure which it was basically penniless. And so what, what she did, you know, back then, you know, the English part of Winnipeg or St. Vitale was separated by St. Boniface, the French part by one street. They moved into the English part. Um, they, they left the church, of course, and leaving the church back then was leaving the French Canadian community. And so, oh. you know, they moved to the English section and basically that told the kids, okay, you're, you're now 40 years. You're not, you're not Fultiers. Uh, you don't speak French. You speak English to these people. So you only lose English. So it's really kind of sad that we basically lost that French part right. of, of the family culture and heritage. It is, it is sad. And I've long thought about trying to take some lessons and trying to get that back. But does any, any uh, of your relatives, you know, now it's, any relatives speak French at all or we're hundred percent English? Not on that side no. of the family. No, not on that side of the family, all English. Okay. Well, let's get to the meat and potatoes while you're here today on the cool jobs podcast. Cause bill has one cool job. Um, Alberta bureau chief CTV national news. That's quite the title probably comes with a huge paycheck. I'm guessing. And at the same, <laughs> at the same time, what is a bureau chief? Like that sounds pretty fancy. Yeah. It sounds like I go around deputizing people, right? Like that. I uh, <laughs> put stars on people. Uh, no, it's uh, so, I mean, uh, the bureau is a small one. There's two of us. Okay. It's uh, me and a, and a, and a videographer editor. He does both. Um, and that's the same as the, the British Columbia Bureau, the Manitoba Bureau. Um, a lot of the bureaus are, are just two people. Um, but basically, CTV National News is a, a fairly big organization. Right. Uh, a lot of reporters in Toronto, Ottawa, uh, you know, Montreal uh, centered there. Obviously, reporters in the States as well, in Washington and L.A. and, and you know, uh, in London, in the U.K. Um, and so 
the bureau chief, which is my role, basically my job is to report for CTV National News from Alberta. So on what's happening in Alberta. So, you know, we have a half hour newscast with Lisa LaFlamme. And basically, uh, if there's a story out of Alberta that's big enough to, to find a chunk in that half hour of news, you know, it's, it's uh, myself and Jay, the, the guy behind the camera, who also edits the pieces, who put that story together. We do sometimes also have to travel. We've been to BC a few times over the last, you know, uh, eight months for wildfires and flooding, things like that. So when there's a big story, we sometimes will have to go to other provinces. But, you know, our, our main position is reporting for CTV National News out of Alberta. And Alberta's massive. Let's land size. So where's the cutoff? What's important to go national versus I got nothing to do today? You know, it, it really depends, right? Because uh, some days when, you know, all heck is breaking loose out east, something pretty big has to happen to get an Alberta story on the news. Other days, you know, when things are pretty slow across the country, they're begging for some Alberta news. You know, so every day is a little bit different. But, you know, I'll say when Alberta was leading the country in terms of uh, not just the rate of COVID cases back in the, I think, the third wave, fourth wave, both. Um, but the actual number, I mean, that was big news. That was national news, you know. Um, th- there's a lot of day-to-day stories, the political stories that will that will get a spot on the national news. And, of course, there's the big breaking news stories, you know. Of course, there's the Fort McMurray fires and Slave Lake Absolutely. fires and the flooding in southern Alberta. Like you say, it's a huge province. So there's, you know, we do have to travel around the province quite a bit. We're in Calgary fairly often. You know, we're based in Edmonton uh, right now, based from our, our homes. Right. But, uh Pretty soon, likely, hopefully, we're back at this at the station at CTV Edmonton. We're going to talk more about uh, the national coverage that you do. Uh, but let's start at the beginning here. You, Winnipeg boy, right? Born, raised. And where right. did this love for news, uh, information processing, I got to tell a story, where did that come from? And how, was, how did that, how did your, I uh, guess, growing up in Winnipeg lead you to where you are now? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a path, right? It's a, it's a journey. That's cliche. I hate that. But, you know, I was always a writer. I was, I always enjoyed writing and it's something that I always could do. Um, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, you know, in high school and uh, who in grade 12, shortly before we graduated, uh, we, we're, you know, I did a bit of everything. You know, I, I, I played some sports. I did musical theater. I did I took different science classes. I took everything available because I just found it interesting. Um, and, you know, shortly before graduation, we were supposed to find a place to do like a two-day work placement sort of thing. Okay. You know, uh, I can't remember what it was called to say like, oh, this is a potential job for me. I didn't do it. Um, I don't know. I just forgot. You know, I was I was a dumb 17-year-old. Uh, and a guidance counselor uh, called me over and asked me to come to the office and I basically said, like, you haven't you haven't picked anything. And I was I said, oh, yeah, I haven't gotten around to it. And she actually said, well, this might be a really interesting one for you. Uh, CBC uh, Winnipeg is offering, you know, a little a little two day tour. And I was like, oh, that's that could be cool. You know, that sounds neat. So I went there and I was pretty fascinated by what I saw. Now, of course, this was 1998. So right. like the newsroom then is very different than now. Right. But, you know, watching these people rushing back into the newsroom and with their, with their footage on beta tapes and popping those. We used beta tapes until the early 2000s, remember, but it's not the same beta right. that was used in the 80s. Different format, digital format. But anyways, you know, um, I thought it was pretty cool. You know, but then I, I moved on. I graduated. 
I, I tried university, you know, that was that, you know, I took a year there. That was interesting. I worked three or four jobs. I did dinner theater. I did singing telegrams. I did, you know, a, a long range of things. And you're still, still in Winnipeg. Uh, and, and then I took a, after one year of university, I took a year off just to kind of figure, figure out what I wanted. I worked in several different places. And then uh, I, I heard an ad for a broadcast journalism program. And I thought, oh, you know, that was kind of cool when I, what I saw at CBC Winnipeg that time. So, you know, on a sort of a whim, I went down there and I took their little aptitude test or whatever, their entrance exam, and I did pretty well on it. And yeah, you know, next thing I knew, I had a student loan and I was off to this course uh, at a school, which is actually not even around anymore. Like that makes me feel old, you know, like the school that I went to for broadcast journalism doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> like it feels like it's like the school of Athens, you know, and yeah, I was like, Plato yeah. was my teacher. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's where it started, you know, is that I went to that school and um, the school wasn't even a great school, to be honest, but really good textbooks. And I read them and pretty good teachers. Um, and so, you know, I, from there, I, I did a practicum in radio, actually, you know, and uh, okay. that, that's where I was going to say, because I wanted to do news. You go to broadcast journalism, you have radio, TV, paper at the time, right? There wasn't too much internet uh reporting or, no. or or internet stream so you had one of those three to pick i was gonna say which is which was your path well yeah like i, I mean i kind of thought tv but you know it was it, you, you know what it's like i mean you know in radio you kind of and and tv you kind of take what, what you can get right especially back then it was very competitive uh so i i was offered a practicum up in dolphin manitoba great little station there 730 ckdm you're a ckdm guy too music yeah, yeah. CKDM, what up? I know. I think I think you and I have actually talked about that before at a media bond spiel like years <laughs> if ago. If it was at a media bond spiel, yeah, yeah way too many uh, little bevs, but yeah, crazy, awesome. <laughs> but and as you know, like that's a great station. Yes. It's a great training ground, right? Hundred percent. A lot of people have gone through there, right? The, the best and worst thing about that station is that everybody can do and cut their teeth there, but nobody sticks around. So I'm sure the owners and management must just hate when like owning that operation because they're like, what is going on? Everybody leaves. Everybody leaves. I don't think there was one person when I was there that was actually lived from Dauphin at all. Uh, yeah, there, there was one guy, Darren something, but the most people had like Heather Prozac, who you probably yeah, know, yeah, who Heather, works in Calgary absolutely. now on radio. She was there when I was there. Uh, Jeff White. Yeah, it, it, there, was a, there was a good little group and it was mostly mostly young people. But as you probably remember, and I'm sure it was the same for you, the pay at 730 CKDM was like almost nothing. Like I made my car, I got my paycheck, I made my car payment, I bought six beer, some craft dinner, some bread, and then whatever was left from my paycheck, I put that much gas in my car. And then when I ran out of gas, I walked to work until the next paycheck. That's awesome. Right? Like that was it. I think, uh, I think my first yeah, starting salary was 1100 a month, I want to say. And I remember my rent was like $235. Yeah, that was about what I had too. And yeah. I lived in this weird place right beside an A&W. And I remember the liquor store sold Pilsner 12 for 12. And, and do the math on that. Like that's like a little over 13 grand a year. Oh, I know. Do you know what I mean? I like, know. That's, like at the time, considering, you know, you were expected to, you know, like, so I, I went there for my practicum and then they offered me a job and it wasn't in news. It was as an announcer but I took it anyway because it's a foot in the door. And I, as you know, you get to put together your own newscast yep. and everything. And I sometimes filled in as a newsreader as well. So I did get to kind of get started in news. So, you know, um, I took that job. But you also had to, 
had to voice and produce commercials sometimes, right? So if you actually put together all the hours you worked, you definitely made less than minimum wage oh my by God. quite a bit, I would think. Yeah. Oh, man. From Dolphin, where did you go? So uh, a position opened up uh, at A-Channel. Remember the A-Channel? Yeah. At A-Channel Winnipeg. Yes. Yeah. So it was a writing position. And I from from college, writing was kind of one of my strengths was sort of news writing, broadcast news writing. So I, I uh, put my name in, I got an interview and they got me to do a, a couple of writing samples. They gave me some CP Canadian press wire copy. And they said like, rewrite this as a 25 second voiceover. And they gave me four and get, and gave me like 10 minutes. So I did them. And then that got me a second interview. So I went in for, you know, I drove to Winnipeg for a second interview, ended up getting that job at a channel. Um, I was a writer there for, I think a year and a half, maybe two years. And then, uh, got into reporting. Just a job came up and I applied for for it as a reporter. So we're talking about maybe 2004. And I started there in early 2002. So it would have been late 2003, early 2004. I would have been like 23. So I remember I, when I started at A-Channel reporting, I was the youngest TV reporter in Winnipeg, which is funny because now it's not that unusual to see someone 23, 24 right. you know, reporting. But then it was unheard of. Like it was... That's, that was intimidating, right? Oh, I bet you got all these veteran guys and you're coming in as the new kid on the block and you're like, mm, okay, I'm just going to go do this story and this story. And I bet you, especially if you got those bigger stories than the other guys, right? That's would really like get them going. Yeah. And the, and the other reporters at the station were for the most part, pretty supportive and great. It was, it was more, I think the other reporters from the other stations, especially print, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if people yeah. know that, but like, uh, I, I have a great relationship with the print reporters in Edmonton, but you know, it, it is very, well, it's, in some ways it's the same. And in some days it's really different what we do at the, you know, we gather in the same way our news and then the way we present it and put it together is very different. So when you're young as a TV reporter, it can be pretty intimidating being around these, these print journalists who have been doing this for 20, 30 years and know the legislature inside out right. and know every, you know, piece of law that's been passed over the past two decades and you're trying to catch up and remember this was before everything was on the internet like this was 2003 2004 so the internet was around and it existed but you know it wasn't like it is yeah, now yeah. where you know every piece of legislation is on the internet you can look up so many previous yeah. stories and get the background on any story you know big part of our job now is using the internet back then right i didn't even have a phone with internet right i had to go back to the station and, and look things up if I needed to, right? Oh, that brings back so many memories, going back to the station to look something up. I've been there. I know exactly what you mean by that. Man, that's crazy. So what, what year were you at CK? Sorry, what year were you at CKDN? I was, I want to say, 02, 03. Oh, so just after me. Yeah, just I, you after must, me. You must have just left because Darren, uh, did you say Darren Brown? That, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. He was there and I, and I hung out with him a lot. Um, and then I was only there for six months and then Prince Albert called me back and I was like, I'm out of here. Gone. Like I, <laughs> I didn't even change my plates. Did you have to do that thing where when you did the weather, you actually had to dial up environment Canada and listen to it, give all of the, all of the forecasts and highs and the current temperatures and you'd write them all down on a piece of paper. Sometimes. And then you, that's if, how you did your our, weather. They got internet went down. We had to call the number. I totally remember that. And I totally remember not being able <laughs> yeah. to record phone calls. And I'm like, we're at a radio station 
and you want me to do this interview and this guy swears all the time and I'm not allowed to record him. How does that, how does that work? How does that work? Okay. When did you make your, when did you make make your way uh, out West? How'd that happen? Okay. Okay. So, uh, so eventually a channel turned into city TV. Okay. Yeah. And then in, uh, I'm going to say 2000, Oh gosh, 2006, maybe. Um, there was a big, uh, a, a bunch of layoffs within uh, the city TV, uh, network and they canceled news at six news at night, uh, and only kept the morning show. And so, you know, for, as a news reporter, it was time to get out of there. And, uh, and so eventually, you know, there were a few people who had gone from a channel Winnipeg to CTV Edmonton, CFRN, including Joel Gottlieb and Aaron Isfeld, Ashley, Akay, uh, Kim Taylor. So I knew some people and they kind of put a good, you know, word in the news director's ear out here for me. And uh, one day I just got a call asking if I wanted to come out and work a, a part-time job, but with full-time hours, lots of hours okay. available and I uh, had nothing else going on. So I said, sure. Uh, I'll never forget the news director at the time, Steve Hogel said, uh, re- you know, realistically, like, when could you be out here? And I said, I think in about 14 hours, like I was, I, you know, I, I had nothing else. So I'm like, I'm just going to pack and drive, you know? So I did, I packed up, I, I ended up, you know, taking yeah, yeah. a few weeks and packed up, got everything, found a place in Edmonton, drove out here, worked a part-time job. And for a part-time job, I think the first few months, I didn't work a single week that I didn't work at least uh, six days. It was just, there were so many hours because they were a little bit short staffed and, right. you know, and local TV was still a little bit healthier than it is now in terms of uh, revenue, I think. And uh, and so you know there were. So what year was that you moved out to Edmonton? I got here in uh, September on September first, two thousand seven. So I was twenty six, about to turn twenty seven years old. Uh, two thousand seven. Yeah. Wow. So you've been in Edmonton quite a while, long, way longer than I thought, actually. Yeah, it'll be uh, well. This year it'll be fifteen years, so quite a while. You you know my goal because I actually had a non-competition clause in my old A-channel contract. So I couldn't work in TV in Winnipeg for six months. So my goal was to ride that out. I thought, okay, I'll spend six months to a year in Edmonton, and then I'll head back to Winnipeg. You know, and then one thing leads to another. You you know, you end up staying in a place. And of course, you know, I met my wife here. We, we bought a house, yeah, had a yeah. baby, you know, so, you know, things change. So you moved to Edmonton. Are you reporting then? straight off the hop and that's your six days a week pretty much reporting yeah i was reporting and then uh shortly after i got here i was anchoring the late night weekend cast as that's, well yeah that's my question so isn't that always the goal for a reporter is to get behind the desk and be be that person is that the is that the end for some reporters um i i personally it's not my favorite i'll say uh you know um i'm a i'm a i'm a reporter who loves being out in the field i love reporting out in the field um, for me, the end goal was always the job I have now. You know, when I was in Dauphin, I used to watch CTV national news every night with Lloyd Robertson. And I saw that as the gold standard in TV journalism. And I wanted to be a part of that. There's no part of me that ever really wanted to anchor, but you do get kind of drawn that way sometimes. And so, you know, it was offered to me to do late nights in 2007. So I did for a while. And then I eventually got off weekends and worked five days a week reporting for a couple of years. And then uh, an opportunity came up when the when the weekend anchor left for Vancouver. 
uh, and myself and Brenna Rose started anchoring. We spent about three, three and a half years producing and anchoring the weekend news on CTV. So those years I was reporting three days a week and then anchoring on weekends. And I liked it because I was producing the shows that I was anchoring. I think it'd be very So maybe dive into that dive into that a little bit what's producing all about obviously building the show but like how how much ahead of time do you start that before you go live at six well you start that about 9 a.m right and go to live go to air at six so it's all day um it takes all day and uh you know most shows the the producer produces and then the anchor anchors but anchors typically do have their hands in the show quite a bit uh they do a lot of writing they do a lot of editing you know they they vet scripts and things like that but producing your own show was nice because we had full control. Brenna and I did of what was going to go, what was going to go in the show, and how it was written. Um, you know how it was presented, and it was a lot of work because, of course, weekends you have smaller, you know, uh, more of a skeleton crew, right? You're shorter staff right, during the week, right. but we we liked it because we were in control of a show. We were able to make it as good as we as we could, and we were pretty proud of that show uh, for those years. But then. You know, I got I got married, and um, you know, my wife had weekends off, and I wanted weekends off. And there was a, a late night anchor who was really ready to move into the six o'clock role on weekends. And so I took the opportunity. I went to my news director and said, "Hey, you know, what do you think about you know Dan Grummet taking over the six and me getting back to Monday to Friday?" And you know, I, as I have been in my career many many times. I was really lucky and very fortunate and things kind of fell into place at the right time. And I was able to get back to five days a week reporting, which frankly is, is my goal. That's what I've always wanted. I, I've never, I didn't get into this to be an anchor ever. And it's not really an end goal for me either. Tell me, tell me about producing the show one more time in terms of timing, because every story, different length, people read at different speeds. You probably read different speed than your co-host does. You're, I know you're supposed to be then you have commercials, then you have the weather. And if the weather goes long, then this happened. Like, how do you wrap that up to a perfect hour? Does stuff get dropped as we go? Are you adding if you're short? Like, how does that happen? Yeah, typically you make sure that you have enough content so you don't have to add. It does occasionally happen where, you know, you'll go on and find something. It's like, oh, uh oh, we're running really short here. And you'll grab something. Basically, the way it works is there are a few different newsroom systems, and they're all basically like a spreadsheet, the spreadsheet type of, of system. CTV uses iNews uh, a lot. I think CBC does as well. And it's basically it's a system that will time out the show for you. So uh, you, it knows my oh, read there speed. We go. It knows Brenna's read speed. It knows other reporters' read speeds. And so it takes the, the, the what you write, the copy, the news copy, and it can guess fairly accurately how long it's going to take to read it. Sometimes you're off by a couple of seconds. Um, most of the stories by reporters are prepackaged stories. So you work all day putting your story together. And then by the time the news runs, you know that it's going to be a buck 45, a minute 45, a minute 50, two minutes, whatever it is. Rarely would a story be longer than two minutes. Usually it's between a minute and a half and two minutes. So okay. the producer starts the day by figuring out what are the biggest stories? You know, what do we need to cover? And, and then, you know, getting sort of putting a slot in the, in the lineup for that, putting a time there, roughly how much it's going to, it's going to take up and then filling the rest of the show, you know, and the commercials are already in there timed out. Um, and so right. you kind of, um, you go from there until you have a full show and you just make sure you have enough. And yeah, I mean, rarely would you get through a show and not have to drop one thing, but often what you drop is a 20 second, a national or world voiceover that was so, sort of a time filler. 
you know, you, you try to take right, the least right. important thing when you're going to drop something. But yeah, stuff does get dropped all the time. And sometimes, and in, especially at national, sometimes an entire story might get dropped because, you know, it's like I said, it's not easy to get uh, your two minutes into that half hour show when it's cover, covering everything in Canada. Right. So, so yeah, yeah. Producing That's- is basically a, it's math. It's a lot of math. And then the producer sits in the control room during the show and has a, it's almost like a real time calculator that's telling you either red showing you like you're 24 seconds heavy right now or green saying like you are 15 seconds light. And so the producer will say to the anchor as well, sometimes like, okay, you guys are a little light, but you're okay. But if you want to have an extra 10 second chat after weather, feel free. Or they might say, wrap this up quick after weather. Cause we're a little heavy right now. So, you know, you can, are they find- talking to you in your ear while you're live? Yeah, they all try, the time. They, they try not to when you're reading while while you're in the middle of a read. Um, occasionally, okay. it happens, and even as a reporter, when I'm going live, say on CTV News Channel, if all of a sudden they're seeing on another feed that the prime minister is walking up to the microphone and they want to go to him, sometimes they'll say, "Wrap, wrap, wrap, wrap it up." And so you have to be able to keep talking, hear them, and <laughs> but but for for anchors, rarely do they do that. You don't usually talk okay. in someone's ear as they're talking. There's a lot of opportunities. There's there's clips, right? An anchor will throw to a quote, a clip from someone, and that's usually 15 seconds when they can get in their ear and talk to them. Or, you know, when they throw to a reporter's piece, a prepackaged reporter report, that's another opportunity to, that the producer can talk to anchors or the director can. So there's always little, can you, you ever, know, a few seconds here and there where you can talk to them. Can you talk back to them without your mic being live? Or uh, is, yeah, they, yeah so not, they shut off your mic during a clip and during a reporter pack, package or a report. So... Yeah, when you're not actively reading, for the most part, you might get shut off. Now, you know, we've all seen enough bloopers to know that it doesn't always work. Sometimes that mic is hot, is left hot. Um, and that's happened to everybody. But that's why you never swear that? when you have a mic on, ever, right? When that yeah, mic's exactly. on, you never swear. Let's visit that for a second. Uh, your blooper that stands out in your mind that you're like, oh, I cannot believe this happened live on TV. It was actually on radio. It was in radio. Oh, it was radio. It was okay. my first. It was my yeah, my first year, and uh, <clears throat> at uh, at CKDM, and uh, I was doing the weather. And you know, like I was uh, when you do weather at a small station like that, as you know, you have to cover like 15, 20 different communities. Weather and it takes forever, right? It's a five minute weather package. It really is at least. And as I'm doing it, the phone starts ringing, and I look down, and I can see the little call display, and it's you know a local family. And I always would be a little bit annoyed because it's like, well, why would you call right now? How can I answer the phone? I'm doing the weather. You know what I mean? And so whatever, it stops I ringing. I keep the doing the weather. And then as I'm just about finished the weather, I see it ringing again. I look down, same, same number, same person. So I finish up. I'm like, that's your latest weather for 730 CKDM. Uh, boom. Start an intro to a song. Turn off the mic. Hit the phone. Hi, CKDM. And a voice says, Oh, yeah. Hi. Can you tell me uh, what the weather's uh, going to be like for today? And I was like, I, I sure can. Uh, actually, no, he asked, what, yeah, can you tell me uh, what, what's te- what the temperature is right now? And I said, sure can. I literally just finished doing the weather. Just right. finished. And uh, the guy was, oh, sorry, I don't have the radio on. So I say, you know, it was summer. I said, you know, 27 degrees, beautiful day. Uh, you know, have a great day. And he's like, yeah, you too. Bye. Hang up the phone. And I I say, you know, why don't you turn on your expletive, which I will not say here, radio. 
And I kind of looked down and I noticed that I hadn't hit the, the button properly to turn my mic off. So my mic, which is right here hanging in front of me, is still on. So I turn it off. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 22 or so, 21 years, 21 years old. And I'm like, oh, how bad is this? How bad is this? You know, the, luckily there was a loud intro to a song happening. If you remember right. at CKDM, there was a second phone there, a bit the business line that only, you know, certain yes. people had the number to. That phone starts ringing. The name comes up on the call display and it's the general manager of the station. It's Linus Westberg. And I don't know if you remember him, but at that point, I'm 21 and I, I thought, you know what? My career is over. Like I'm fired for sure. I'm fired. And so I just, what do you do? I answered the phone. I said, hi, CKDM. And good old Linus gets on there and says, hey, young fella, can you tell me the score of the bomber game? And I just, it was the biggest sigh of relief, I think probably still of my life. And I told him the score. And then he said, I've been listening tonight. You're doing a great job, young fella. And, uh, and I was like, oh, thanks, Linus. I hung up and I was like, oh, you know, you just have that feeling. You're sweating. Like you dodged this bullet. And so I went back and I found the logger tape and uh, I gave it a good listen to. And you could hear me talking in the background on that phone call, but it was faint because it was a loud intro. You really ha would have to have been listening pretty close. But still, the logger tapes back then were still cassettes. I'm not going to lie. I took it in the room with the bulk eraser. Those tapes only last so long anyways. And I just gave it a quick once over, popped it back away. Just because just if that ever came up, you know, it'd be like, well, let's go to the logger tapes and see if that actually happened or not. Right? <gasps> I love it. I love it. The Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Crown Jewel Recruitment. Hi there. Mark Curtis, Managing Partner, Crown Jewel Recruitment. We are very excited to partner with the Cool Jobs Podcast. A little bit about us. We specialize in mid to senior level management positions, all types of industries. We also have entry level all the way through to executive suite. If you'd like to learn more, please check out crownjewelrecruitment.com. Like Cool Jobs Podcast on Facebook at Cool Jobs Podcast. Um, I want to talk about three big events you got to cover. Um, first off, 2011 uh, Slave Lake fire. Uh, how does that day, I guess, happen? How do you get? How do you get the call to do to cover that story? And then uh, take me through kind of a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll never forget. We were um, sit. I was sitting in a downtown condo. I just made. I think I just barbecued steak. I think it was, and we were sitting down to eat. And I was checking my emails, and it was like, "Geez, this situation is not looking good." You know, the days before we had we had been getting updates from Alberta Wildfire about how things were looking pretty good, and we were sending a crew up there, a camera, but it wasn't me. And, the, and we had this clip from, I'll never forget it, from Jeff Driscoll from Alberta Wildfire saying, you know, at this point, the town is not at risk. Of course, we know that could change quickly, but it looked good. It looked like that fire was moving sort of around Slave Lake. And, you know, it was, there was a, a, a body of water and there was, well, a lake, and there was a, a highway kind of keep holding it at bay. And that night, um, one of our guys was out there. And he starts emailing. He's like, this is bad. This is bad, guys. It's, it's entered town. It's jumped the highway. Um, he started sending in pictures and video of town hall on fire and a car dealership on fire. And I got a call from uh, who was at the time the supervisor for camera guys, the photog supervisor, Barry, uh, who had been told by the news director or the managing editor, I'm not sure, saying, hey, can you and Bill uh, 
head there maybe early, like first thing in the morning. He called me and he said, are you watching what's happening? And I said, yeah, yeah, like I'm, I'm seeing this. And he said, should, how early would you be willing to go? And I said, well, should we go now, you know? And so we talked to the managing editor at the time and he said, if you don't mind, yeah. So we, I put, I put down my dinner in a hurry that night and we were off. We went to Westlock first where we knew there was an evacuation shelter that had been set up to talk to people who had evacuated about what they, what they saw, what they heard. And then uh, that night, I think we got as far as uh, maybe Athabasca. I think we eventually got to Athabasca and found a hotel, stayed in Athabasca that night. And that hotel in Athabasca would be my home for the next two weeks. You know, like we, we ended up staying there a long time. Um, and every day going to the, this, this massive complex in Athabasca that had become an evacuation center and talking to evacuees. Right. And the mayor would come by there, Karina Pillay-Kinney, uh, the mayor of Slave Lake at the time, and give updates there and give updates to the media. And then we'd sometimes get tours of Slave Lake. Yeah, what's the distance of Athabasca to Slave Lake? I think it was about an hour and a half. I could be wrong. It was it was pretty far. Okay. It wasn't super close. I think it was an hour, an hour and a half. Um, and so, yeah, it was a bit of a drive because some days we would, a lot of days, we'd start our day in Athabasca and then go to Slave. We couldn't get in, but they would, a few days after the fire, they started doing media bus tours because they knew, you know, number one, that, um, that people wanted to see what Slave Lake looked like. You know, they knew that people wanted to right. see what the damage was, whether what neighborhoods were still standing, what wasn't. And, you know, news media has the ability to show a lot of people that by getting a few of us in. And also they, they knew that, you know, reporters and, and camera people are going to find a way in at some point. So rather than being exactly. having no control over the situation, they made the smart decision to have control over the situation. And they organized media tours where they could get us in, they could watch us, they could be in control of where we went, um, and they could make sure we all got out safely. And, and a big part of it is they do want us to be safe too, of course. They don't want us in there where there's there were there were dangerous situations in there. During one of the tours, you know, propane tanks were exploding. I think even there was some live ammunition that was going off at one point. It, I wasn't in there for that, but um so, so yeah, the, uh, we stayed in Athabasca and every day we found new ways to cover the story based on whatever the, you know, the, the big development of the day was. And often we had two or three reporters doing two or three different stories. And you're also juggling that with CTV News Channel, which is the national 24-hour news station that we run, uh, right. always wants more information and they have a 24-hour news wheel to fill. So they always would be looking for what we call a live hit, basically you stand in front of the camera and you talk and the anchor will ask you questions and you'll do your best to answer them. So we are trying to gather stories, drive that hour, hour and a half to Slave Lake most days, gather everything, write our stories and get everything on the air for our six o'clock newscast. So those were, how, those were how do you send the, how do you send the video back to Edmonton? How does that work? Cause that's, those are huge files. Everything's huge. You can't go live all the time. Does that, is there, you guys have like a pipeline of internet that just goes back to the station or, or how does that work? So that's changed a lot over the years. Uh, when I started in the industry, TELUS and, and the other phone operators in each province set up what were called bang boxes. And so you literally had to drive to the, a town that had one, a TELUS building. Most TELUS buildings would have them in Alberta. And everyone who worked in news knew the code for this box that would be on the back of the building that you could open and you could plug your camera into and feed video, you'd book a window 
that would cost, I think, a few hundred bucks uh, uh, per half hour or something. I don't, I don't really know, actually. And you would feed video. You'd call TELUS and they'd open up a line. And then back at the station, someone would route up that line and you'd feed your video in. That was not ideal because if you weren't near one of those bing boxes, you wouldn't oh, get yeah. your story in. Um, I, I remember uh, covering a story out at, near Lloyd Minster on a meteor and pieces of meteorite that had crashed and trying to get that story in and find a bing box. And it was terrifying. So with the you know advent of quicker internet, what we started doing was you know getting like a, a an internet stick uh, you know for your for your laptop and we yep. couldn't feed in a raw video because as you say that would be a you know way too big a file so we would cut right. edit the story write the story in the field edit the story on that laptop on an edit system and now you only have a video file that's about you know two minutes or less to feed so you'd feed that over the internet and you would F put it on a, an FTP site and then they they'd bring it down. And that worked for a while, but it was difficult. And Slave Lake is a perfect example because that's how we were trying to do it in Slave Lake. And there were times when myself and John Mees, who was the, the uh, shooter, we call him, or videographer, editor, and I would be driving, trying to get a better, faster signal because we'd be watching the clock and the story has to run in 12 minutes. And it's saying it's going to take 11 minutes for this thing to feed. You're watching it upload. And, and it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's very stressful. And so... I would drive the car, the truck as close as I could. And we'd look for just a, a, a tower, a cell phone tower right. to try to get a better. And there is, I remember there was two occasions where John actually would get up and, and climb up and hold the laptop up as close as he could to the tower, like, like an offering to the, you know, Wi-Fi gods, you know, like saying like, please, like. Take uh, my story, take it. Yeah. It was probably like 3G at the time. Right. I don't know. Uh, 2G, 3G. Oh my God. And it would take a lot longer. And. And there were times we barely got those stories in. Now, I, I don't know if you've heard of a DeGero, but that's the industry standard now. There are these units. They look like suitcases or backpacks. There's two different versions. And they're basically a little computer that you can feed raw viz video into, uh, raw footage, uh, clips, anything you want, and then upload the entire raw pretty quickly. Because what it does is it has four antennas that can take bandwidth from four different cell phone towers. And it's got a pretty good range. So almost no matter where you are, there are some spots that are iffy up in Northern Alberta, but almost wherever you are, you can, you can feed in, uh, you know, HD massive video files pretty quickly because you're using, you know, bandwidth from four towers at once. Right. So that's how we feed right. in our stuff right. these days. And and with you being now national, all your stuff has does it dumb question because I don't know does it go to Edmonton first and then from Edmonton it goes to Toronto or do you locally just go straight to Toronto and like where does that yeah how does that all happen it could know. go either way um basically oh, okay we if we took our 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 card you know it's all on little memory cards now if we took our memory card and I mean right now we're working from home. Uh, but once okay, we're back okay. working at the station, we might just go and ingest it, pop it into a computer at the station. And once it's in the system, it's in the system for the entire CTV system, right? So we can all, we can all view it. We can all see it. Um, but what gotcha. we do right now is we use one of those Tejero units I told you about, and we pop the right. card in, we upload the entire file and that goes straight to a mainframe in I'm guessing Toronto. I think it's Toronto. And then again, we can view it from our systems, in Edmonton, in Calgary, Regina, Saskatoon, well, remotely anywhere. 
so yeah, can anybody pick up your story then? When, when once once you upload a story, Bill has talking about whatever happened, um, COVID numbers, whatever in Edmonton. Anybody across the CTV network can pull that down for their newscast. Yeah, I mean it, it'll run first on CTV National News because that's the that's the right. show that it was uh, you know produced for. But you know the next morning, oh, okay. yeah, morning gotcha. shows across the country will often run that story. Noon shows the next day sometimes if the story's not dated. You know if it doesn't say today or tonight making it right, uh, right. a dated story. Yeah. Uh, often, often our stories will run on, uh, on multiple stations. And of course, CTV national news runs on every CTV station as well as CTV news channel. So, you know, the stories do run end up running in every city. Um, let's jump to 2013, 2013, um, flooding Southern Alberta. You got the call again to cover this crazy event. Take me through that one. Where were you? How'd you get the call? How are you the guy again? How, how does Bill get the call again? Yeah, I mean, I like, you know, I, lucky is a weird word, but, uh, you know, you want to cover these things. And I've been really fortunate that I've gotten to cover a lot of these big stories. Um, Calgary, I mean, I, I think what happened was that the news director at the time at CTV Calgary basically said, like, we need some help down here. You know, like we're struggling. Uh, this is crazy. And, and I, I went down. And I, I did some stuff for CTV Calgary, but mostly I still filed stories for CTV Edmonton and, and a couple for CTV National as well. And uh, I'll never forget that day. We, we drove in with our satellite truck and we, we got into a certain point near this big river. It wasn't a river. It was a, it was a field, but it had turned into this giant river. And uh, this was in um, High River uh, where uh, former Premier Allison Redford, who is actually the premier at the time, was from. And we got there and then the floodwater had cut us off. So we were stuck where we were. We couldn't get out. And so, um, yeah, so, and, and so we pull up and uh, a national reporter from a, a competing news agency came over to me and said, Bill, did you, did you hear about Bill from CTV Calgary? And I said, what do you mean? No. Like, and he's like, oh, he almost died. And so, I, you know, he said, yeah, he's at the fire hall. They gave him some dry clothes and stuff and you should go check on him. So, you know, we just got there. We hadn't gathered any news footage or anything yet. And we got to the fire hall that was very close and to check on him. And it turned out um, they had uh, they were coming out of, I believe, a car wash as the water started coming up and the water had come up sort of over the boulevard. So they couldn't find the, the exit out onto the road. They kind of guessed and missed it and went nose first with the truck into the water, the engine stalled, so they had to get out. And they got out and the, I think the water started a little below their waist, so they're holding the camera and the DeGero, you know, these, which are worth a lot of money, up above their heads. And the water gradually got up to their chest where they had to ditch the gear, a lot, some of it, because it was you know, dragging them down. At one point, the camera guy that was working with Bill I think climbed up onto a balcony and pulled Bill up and Bill could feel himself being sucked into the deepest part of where this water was. And he, you know, he told me that night that he thought that was it. He thought he was done. Um, wow. Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so he was okay. They got, they got him up there and then they were rescued by fire crews either with a boat. I think it was a, or a helicopter. They were using both. They were using big, big like garbage trucks to, to transport people, they were using boats and they were using helicopters. And they got into the fire station, got them some dry clothes. And that was a few hours before we got there. Like this had just all unfolded. And so we got there 
and uh, and then we got trapped, and so we couldn't leave. So we had to sleep. I I think I slept part of the night in the satellite truck, which is hard because there, there's no real there's nowhere to sleep. And then part of it, right, just right. one of the news cruisers, you just recline. Slept for a couple of hours, and then I had to get up at uh, four or five in the morning to start doing live hits for CTV News Channel. So you know you're running on coffee, adrenaline, and Slim Jims because all the stores are closed. All you can get is pepperoni yeah, right. sticks. And so yeah, that was. And then a few yeah. days there, covering in High River, covering in Calgary, and then we went off to Medicine Hat and covered the flooding there. I think it was eleven days straight. I worked, and then we went home. That was wild. Once. Wow. Yeah. Well, since we're here, we may as well go to 2016 uh, for McMurray. I was in Toronto at the time at a conference and I remember my phone blowing up and it was like, what do we do? What do we do? What's going on? And I was like, and we, we stopped the conference. I totally remember this right now. We stopped the conference, turned the TV on and it was just Fort McMurray fire. What is going on? Bill to the rescue again. Yeah, you know, uh, I think that most of us after Slave Lake thought, well, that's a once in a lifetime story that we're never going to see again. You know, yeah, I never. Bet. I think in our wildest dreams did we think that five years later we would actually see something worse and significantly worse. You know, <clears throat> and, and it was a similar thing. And the first crew that that got up there encountered the you know the people racing out, and you know, like. <laughs> there's two ways out of Fort McMurray, North and South, you know, as anyone who's ever been up there knows. And those, that, that, that imagery, that footage that we've all seen of those cars driving through flame and smoke and trees on fire. And it's something you can, they can hardly see what's in front of them as embers land on their hoods. I just, I just got, that sticks with chills. Yeah. Yeah. And when I saw that, I knew it was time to go. And so that it's a long drive up to Fort McMurray, as you know, and, that first night we made it to Wandering River and I, and Wandering River is a spot that if you blink, you miss it, you know, and it's, it's kind of the last town really on highway 63 before you get to Fort McMurray, but there's still like, I think like three hours between the two, like it's still a long drive, maybe even more. Uh, and in Wandering River, we found this motel and, and like the gas station was full of people. I, I think they ran out of gas every, it was, Wandering River has a population of maybe a couple hundred, if that. And there were probably well over a thousand people there when we got there. And we we were reporting from there that night and the next morning and doing, I was doing hits for CNN because uh, they were interested in this from Wandering River. And uh, I'll never forget, we went to this motel and a, a nice guy from, I believe, New Zealand, Bernie, uh, you know, he said like, my rooms are all, you know, booked out. And it was like, well, can we sleep anywhere? We just need to sleep. And he said, well, there's a few rooms in the basement that we don't rent out anymore. He's like, you can use them, but like my bike's in one of them and there's only one shared bathroom for all of them. And we're like, we'll take it, you know? So I think there were four of us crews and we each had our own like little room and that no one had slept in for a long time. And I mean, they don't rent them out for a reason. You know, those, right, those right. beds were not the most comfortable. There was one bathroom at the end of the hall. But man, did that feel like amazing to sleep on, on that bed that night. And then off we were, off to Fort McMurray area. And for days... We is that a weird feeling? You're driving to the issue, the problem, whatever it is, and everybody is leaving it. Like everybody is leaving because homes are burning, buildings are burning, businesses are burning, the city's on fire. 
everybody's leaving and you're driving to it. Is that a weird feeling when you when you see that happening? It is weird. Um, it, yeah, it's um, I mean, the traffic is light, right, which is nice. But you almost feel a little guilty. You know what I mean? Because, um, you know, you, you want to make sure you're staying out of the way of emergency crews because they're the other ones going the wrong way. Right. They're the other ones going into it. And so, you know, I think that uh, media has a bit of a bad reputation. And a lot of that, I think, is because of TV and movies, Hollywood, Hollywood's interpretation of what news reporters are and what they do. And, you know, in movies, uh, you know, reporters never care about making way for police and fire crews and emergency crews. It's all about just like, get that story, you know, and get it to air. And in real life, I've, I haven't experienced that. My experience has been that across the industry, uh, news agencies are very careful and cautious and uh, appreciative uh, of what police, fire, paramedics have to do. And we really try to work with them and stay out of their way and let them do their thing. And, and that's a bit of a tangent. I apologize for that. But yeah, no, it, it's super weird. And and on these, you you end up finding a place and it was a truck stop where they had set up the, you know, the the um, roadblock south of Fort McMurray. And that becomes like a little media village. You know, you have all these satellite trucks from the different media outlets. You have cruisers. And then for that one, because it was several days, we were stuck there. Um, CTV National News, which I wasn't working for at the time, and CTV Edmonton both rented motorhomes so that we had somewhere to work, somewhere to take a nap if we needed to. You know, we had a, a bathroom, things like that. So we ended up having motorhomes right. which was great because you could sit in there and write your story. Um, and so, yeah, that was several days of uh, going to press conferences when, and updates when they were available, talking to people when you could, driving around, trying to find other things. Some nights we stayed in work camps, like, you know, where, where oil field workers stayed, and we could get a room there. Um, some nights we stayed in a hotel in Lac La Biche, which is a very long drive back to Fort McMurray the next day. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, and, and those days, you're out there for, you know, seven to 14 days at a time. And they just fly by because you're just, you get up early, you're doing hits for morning shows, you're doing live hits for news channel, you're gathering a story, you, you're filing your story up against tough deadlines, you get it to air, you breathe, you know, you breathe, and then you uh, go for dinner and have a beer with your colleagues. And that's an important part of that day too, you know, is right, unwinding yeah. and saying like, yep. holy cow, guys, we did it again. And watching the newscasts and being so proud of what you were able to accomplish and, and we got a lot of great feedback from the people of Fort McMurray and of Slave Lake before that and saying, like, thanks for doing this. Like, this is the information that I needed that I didn't have. So I was able to watch the news and get that information. So, you know, and, and that can also be really tough because you can't always get the answers to people that they want. And the answer everybody wants in a situation like that is, when can I go home and is my home still standing? When can I go home and is it still there? And a lot of times it's like, Man, it, we don't know because nobody knows. Like, it's going to be a while before they can make a, a burned out city safe again. You have open gas lines, down power lines. You know, the entire place is so dangerous that it takes a while for crews to get in there and carefully, you know, make it safe again. So, and, and you know, I'm not an expert, but by my estimation, crews in Slave Lake and Fort McMurray did an unbelievable job of quickly getting those communities back into some sort of shape where people could get back in. I've seen video of those crews working day and night and, and putting in long hours and, you know, EPCOR crews and others and emergency responders making, making those places safe. And I think they really understood how important it was and what it meant to people to get back into their homes. 
because people were stressed, you know, people, there's a lot of anxiety and, and probably PTSD to some extent that people were facing. And a lot of those people just really wanted to get home. Absolutely. Um, how many days were you in for Mac? So I, I did two shifts. I, I, my memory here is spotty, but I think I did, I think I did nine to 11 days straight and then came down they gave me like a day and a half, two days off and then went back up for four or five. And then, you know, that was a story that CTV Edmonton actually won a continuing coverage award for because um, we we kept sending people up. We didn't stop. You know, we kept going because there were more stories to tell. So I think in the end, I probably went up there, uh, not including the one-year anniversary, the two-year anniversary, probably four or five times, you know. They'd give us a few days off and then they'd send us back up, find, you know, what's going on, get more updates. So we were back up there. I mean, in total, I probably spent, I would say, maybe three weeks to a month up there. When when this is all happening, are you married at the time? Um. Fort McMurray was 2016, so I would have been newly married, yeah. So, yeah. that's a whole other thing people don't realize. You're out there for that stretch of time. Like, it's a it's a big commitment to your job, number one, leaving your new wife and say, gotta go work. She doesn't know, like, how dangerous you're in, what kind of situation you're in, right? So, like, that's a whole other thing people don't really realize on the back end of what you do. Especially now that I have a baby, you know, and that changes everything yeah. too. And I've had to go for, and, and that makes it even harder to leave. But, you know, you know, Brandy, uh, and she's an, except, she's an exceptionally patient person. And I think you have to be, to be married to a reporter, you know, um, she gets that it's part of the job and it doesn't make it easy. I don't think, and it doesn't, it's not easy for me either, but you know, it's not like I'm leaving town for multiple days because there's a light story to tell on, you know, it's because there's something really important happening. Right. And, you know, she's proud of me that I'm there telling that story, you know, and it's tough. It's tough to be away from a wife. It's tough to be away from a kid, you know, for a few days. But, you know, I did it in BC for the, for the flooding a, a few months back there um, in the, in the fall. And uh, <laughs> you're so busy. It goes by quick, you know, and, and we're lucky too, that we live in the time that we can get on our phone. Our phone's a supercomputer that I can video chat my, my yeah, one and a half yeah. year old at home every night. Right. So that's awesome. But there, there are commitments. You're right. And they don't, it's not all the time, you know, most of the time I'm working from here, but when big, big news happens and you've given a couple of great examples, you know, sometimes you, that's just a commitment that it's what you signed up for. You know, you signed up to be at those things. So. Um, in your career, has there ever been a story that you didn't get and you're like, Oh, I wish I had that one. Great question. I mean, I think there's probably been lots. Um, like, do you mean that like another reporter at the station did sure. it? I wish I could the, have done the, it. The boss gave it to to another person and you're like, oh, I wish I could have had that one. That, that I, I could have rocked that story. I mean, <laughs> I got I got two skydiving ones. So I, you know, I'm, where I got to go skydiving with the Skyhawks. Uh, oh, if I didn't cool. get that one, it would have been kind of like, damn, you know, I would have liked that <laughs> one. <clears throat> I mean. I've been, like I said, I've been very fortunate. Rarely has there been a really big story that I haven't, you know, gone to cover. Um, and, and you, you know, I, I have to say, like I've worked on these great teams where if I don't go and someone else does, I'm, I'm not really the jealous type. I, I look at it more as like good for them. Like, and I watch what they do and I'm like, wow, what a great job. You know, I have colleagues who, 
are incredible reporters and watching them cover a big news story, I think I feel more pride than anything, more pride than jealousy. Um, yeah, so I, I it, rarely, I think, and, and if it has happened, it hasn't stuck with me, you know, because it's not something That's I would good. dwell on. I think that yeah, for yeah. me, it's just, I, I, I can't complain. You know, I've been, I've, I've had the chance to cover the biggest stories that have happened in this province in the 15 years I've been here. And, you know, I, I, a year after Slave Lake, I went back there with John Meese, who's now a, a CNN camera person in Taiwan. And uh, we did a, a half hour documentary on the Slave Lake fire. And we ended up winning uh, an RTD, RT uh, DNA award and a Murrow award in the US, um, the international division for that. So, you know, I, yeah, I just like, I've, I've, I've kind of gotten to cover so many things that I'm so right. happy for. If the little story comes up that I don't get to cover that I kind of wanted to, yeah, I just don't dwell on it, you know, because whoever covers it's going to do a good job, you know. And you always know there's something is going to happen. There's another good story coming. And if the story's big enough, you're going to get sent out there anyways. Like, look at the right. wildfires last year in BC when they started. You know, there's there's someone out there on the ground. And, and I love doing that. I love covering. I, I hate disasters because they hurt people. And I hate that what, what they put th th people through. But when they happen, I want to be there to cover them. And, you know, watching another reporter out in the field, it is like, ah, oh, you know, you get that sense of like, I want to be there. And sure enough, two days later, I get the call being like, can you get on a plane today and head to Vancouver? Right, right. You know, and rent a car and drive out to uh, wherever the heck we went, Lillooet and uh, Cash Creek. And yeah, we did several days of wildfire coverage out there. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I've been lucky and I've gotten to cover some incredible and really big stories in my career. You've mentioned CNN a couple times. Um, to you, is that a big deal getting to that CNN level? And um, is the goal ever down the road to like, hey, let's maybe make them trek to the states and, and and do this? Or can you just be a Canadian coverage for CNN? Like, I don't know how that works. Yeah, I mean, uh, CNN is huge, right? It's one of the world's largest news broadcasters. So there is a sense when you do a live hit, and, and the way it works is CTV is not directly affiliated with them, but we have sharing agreements. So um, if we shoot footage and put it up onto a sort of a large mainframe, they can use it and we can use the stuff that they shoot. Uh, it's a partnership of sorts. So when something is happening here, if they need a live hit, they will go to a CTV reporter. Um, what I, I would never personally, well, I mean, never say never, but I, it's never been a goal of mine to work for CNN or for any other American broadcaster or international broadcaster. You know, my whole career I've been trying to work towards uh, working for CTV National News because it is a national and international newscast, you know, and it's um, it has an international presence. And, um, you know, for me, that's been the goal. And uh, yeah, never have I have I looked and said, uh, I would like to work for CNN or that's where I want to get to. That's where I want to be. Um, American news is told in a slightly different way. And, you know, it's it's effective. Uh in some ways, but it's a bit different. And I prefer the way Canadian television journalism uh, is sort of uh, produced. Um, take me through. No, I, get, I totally understand. 100%. Um, take me through your day to day right now with national news. So like you're on holidays right now, but like, do you already know when you go back on Monday, what's coming down the pipe? Like, oh, we have to cover this and we got to do that. Or do you just pray Sunday night something's happening like we got a story or Monday morning like you wake up mm, 
we got nothing here today. <laughs> what, what do we want to cover? What do you want to shoot? Like, how, where does the story come from? Like, like you nailed it. It's both. It's a, it's the full range, right? <laughs> like, that's really like, you're right on all counts. Like some, okay. some days you absolutely know what's coming. And, and you know, like we typically get a heads up if Dr. Dina Hinshaw is going to have a press conference. And right. if, if Jason Kenny's going to be there, if the premier is going to be there or the health minister, you know, you're, you're, your sort of spidey sense kind of goes off that maybe something big's coming down. And so I'll let, I'll let the, the desk in Toronto know, okay, you know, this is what we're hearing. So I'll keep my ears open, you know, my ear to the ground for whatever's happening. And if there's a big announcement, sometimes we'll be like, okay, well, there's our story today. Uh, sometimes we're, you know, we're hearing there's not going to be a big announcement. They're just going to, they're there to talk, give an update on numbers or whatever. Then that might not be enough for a wrap. Maybe it is. If it's a huge jump in numbers, but, uh, you know, some days we, I, we won't end up filing a story for, for the national show. You know, some days we will. So it's a combination. It's some days we know it's coming and we know it's going to be big. And, right. you know, some days we go to a specific location to cover a big story. Like when Cargill down south of Calgary opened yep. the Canada's first uh, workplace vaccination clinic, you know, and, they, and where employees would come and get their vaccine and, and go. It was, a, you know, like a walkthrough. That was a big story. So we planned a couple nights ahead to go down there. Um, I don't know if you remember when the two Michaels, Michael Spavor and Kovrig, landed back in Calgary. 100%. That was one of the biggest stories I've ever covered. And it was just, you know, um, <clears throat> late uh, late last year, I guess. And uh, and on that one, there was actually a, a really someone who's smarter than me figured out by monitoring flights that, hey, this flight is, you know, is in Alaska and it came from China and it's coming to Edmonton or to Calgary. That's got to be the Michaels. And so we, that night, you know, booted into action. I got, I drove from here in the evening, got to Calgary at like midnight, slept for two hours at a hotel, got up, met the, the camera guy, and we drove around the airport trying to figure things out. We got to the terminal and saw Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, walk out from the hotel and get in the big black cars. And we're like, well, let's follow them. And so we followed them and we ended up getting, you know, right to the gates where this private government jet landed. And with the zoom on the camera, we were able to see the two Michaels get off that plane. Uh, And someone from the prime minister's office came by to chat with us and confirm for us that, you know, that was the two Michaels. And so we were able to break that news before anybody else was even there, you know, no other news agencies were there. And we were able to break it on Twitter and on CTV news channel and, so that was pretty exciting getting to cover that. So that there's an example of where there's some planning, but it was the night before. It was a few hours before. And a lot of days, as you say, you just kind of sit around and wait and hope. But news is shifting and evolving and always happening. So it's not like I'm sitting twiddling my thumbs. Like if I do have some downtime, it's like, okay, thank God, because I have so much to catch up on. You know, I try to read the Edmonton Journal and the Globe and Mail every day. And some days it's hard to get through the whole thing because you're so busy putting a story today. I try to watch local newscasts from different news agencies in Edmonton and Calgary every day. And I try to watch at least two national newscasts, you know, between CBC Global and CTV. So there's so much news to watch and to read. And then it's, con- you know, these websites are constantly being updated. So throughout the day, I like to check. So it's busy <laughs> even on days you don't file a story. Throw in the Twitters and all the social media things that are flying all the time, right? Like, don't know what's true sometimes. And is that a tough part too? Like, when you open up the internet, and it's like, hey, uh, what is this really happening? Okay, no, that they don't get the story right. Like, should we cover this? Should we not cover it? Do you see a lot of fake 
I hate to say the term fake news, but do you see a lot of that in your industry? Yeah, I mean, like, luckily for us, I mean, determining what's real and what's not is kind of our specialty, right? Like, it's it's uh, not that not that we never get it wrong. Of course, nobody's perfect, but you know, it's kind of what we've always done: battling fake news or misinformation, disinformation. You know, um, it's sort of a. Uh, and I actually went to Toronto for a couple of days and took a workshop, a really great workshop, with a guy from uh, BuzzFeed, who which is great at battling misinformation. Um, and, uh, the, um, I guess the, you know, the, the sort of golden rule has always been that you need three good sources before you run something right. Solid sources. And so really, I mean, it's, we, we never just hear things and just go with it. You know, even recently, you know, TMZ reporting that Betty White had died. You don't just see it automatically. It's going to be on every newscast because TMZ reports it. We'll get a big email in the system saying, this is what TMZ is reporting. Hold off. We're working to confirm. And then you get another email saying like, okay, CTV News has confirmed this. You can go with it. So, you know, we have a, a group of people in Toronto who are fantastic at confirming things. And as journalists, we're all pretty good at it. You know, we all know who yeah, to yeah. call and, and who to talk to. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, well, 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 this whole like misinformation, disinformation, social media, fake news is kind of a new thing for most people, it's not really that new for us. You know, we've been dealing with misinformation our entire careers. There's always bad actors out there and misinformed people who are saying things that aren't real. And we don't just go, you know, there was a guy saying that the Slave Lake fire started because power lines were too low and they were catching the grass on fire. You know, we're not just going to say, go and report that because some guy said it, right? We're <laughs> going to look into it and we're going to talk to experts and we're going to find... Right. Somebody right. who would know, and we're going to talk to them. So, I mean, right. yes, it, you know, finding the right people to run things by before you report on it is is uh, ha, is what we do. And, and, of course, there's a challenge when uh, the whole challenge of you want to be first. You want to report things first. And that's why sometimes news agencies have put things out that are untrue. It has happened from time to time because they jumped when they should have stepped back. Um, I, you know, I... Obviously, I'm biased, but I think my company's pretty good about holding off until uh, until it's confirmed or until we have an incredibly high probability right. of knowing for sure. You know. Okay, we we're gonna wrap up here right away. One more question before we go. Um, so some days, like you said, because it's national and it's only a half hour show, and you can't get your like they have lots to cover. So out of five days a week, how many times do you think or figure your story gets on? It's so um, it's so uh, inconsistent that it's hard to oh, say. Okay. Like there will be weeks when maybe I'll file uh, one or two stories, and then there are weeks where I'll, I'll file six because I'll file Monday to Friday, and then oh Saturday something will happen. And they'll call me and be like, "I'm so sorry, uh, this is huge. Can you do a story?" So you know, my first two weeks I filed every day plus uh, one weekend day. You know, um, and when you're when you're uh, away covering a big event, you expect to file every single day. Um, but during a slow week, like there was a week not too long ago where just not a lot of huge news was coming out of Alberta. And, you know, I think we filed one story for that day and then found something interesting and put a story together for the weekend and and it, and held it for the okay. weekend. Because um, some, some stories take a little time, right? Like some stories you can't get a whole thing done in one day, can you? I mean, most of the time it's that day. But okay. you're right. Sometimes okay. if it's a longer one or if it's more in depth, something that takes a little more investigation, 
something you haven't been able to confirm, then yeah, sometimes you have to work a several days at a story. Uh, right. And then also some days you can. Some days you have something that's not a super hard hitting story. It's a bit lighter, but it's really interesting or it's really cool, but there's a lot of driving involved or you really want to take your time and get it perfect. And if the show doesn't need the story that night, maybe you can ask like, can we, can we hold on to this and, and run it tomorrow? And if it's not something that has to run that night because it's not urgent, it's not breaking news, sometimes you know you, you can do that. Uh, but but most of the time, the vast majority of the time, we file stories on the same day that we that we gather them. Bill Fortier, holy cow, Alberta Bureau Chief, CTV National News, you have one cool job. I appreciate it. It's a fun <laughs> job, man. I, I think it's pretty cool. I, I don't think I could do anything else, so I'm glad I have it because... Uh, I don't know what else I'm qualified for. Man, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, Bill, hopefully hopefully when this pandemic overs, we'll grab a beer sometime and have a yeah, chat. Yeah, I hope so, Lisa. John. Yeah, it'd be good to see you. And, and hopefully we do a media bonds field this year. Yeah, we got a curl, right? Are you curling this year? Yeah, I am. I, and we'll see if it we'll see if it doesn't get canceled. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, but I, I think we're okay. You have to wear masks and everything, but we're still yeah, debating yeah. whether or not to do the media bonds field this year. Other bonds fields are going ahead, so... We'll kind of see what happens, I think, in the next couple of weeks and months. Sounds good. I'm in. Cool Jobs Podcast brought to you by Mark Curtis at Crown Jewel Recruitment with over 200 people hired. Mark Curtis at Crown Jewel Recruitment will find the right person for you. Contact him today. 780-984-8800 or email mark at crownjewelrecruitment.com. Bill, take care. Say hi to your fam for me. The Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Crown Jewel Recruitment. Have a cool job or know someone that does? Let us know. Email Johnny at cooljobspodcast.com. You got me feeling-